good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Jacob Yarbrough. I serve as one of the elders here at uh, Calvary Bible Church. And this morning I'll be reading from the book of 1 Peter. And I invite you to join along with me. We'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Jacob. We good? Okay. Uh, I'm not Byron Bradshaw. I'm Jason Espy. I serve here as an elder. And so I get the privilege and the joy of uh, preaching today. Every time I, I read the scripture, I'm always like, man, I'm going to preach. <laughs> I was looking through the the uh, the bulletin. I didn't see any in there that you were supposed to bring your lunch today. We're going to be going to like one or two o'clock. So it's a joke. OK, <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, all right. So I want to. I want to talk today about our response to the greatness of God's salvation. Our response to the greatness of God's salvation. Uh, So a month ago, um, on the 25th of January, my brother turned 50, and he and his family live out in Denver. And, I mean, on a whim, that Tuesday, my sister-in-law was like, wanted to fly me out there for his birthday. And I was like, wow, okay, let's do this. So I flew out on Friday, um, was there on Saturday and then flew back Sunday. It was a exhausting and fun, exhilarating trip, but that was my first time to ever see the Rockies. Has anybody in here ever seen the Rockies in person? Yeah. Yeah. So you understand. Um, I was like the most biggest tourist taking pictures everywhere, just of the mountains and of the landscape. Um, I, I probably embarrassed my family just at how in awe I was of the Rockies. Uh, I'm going to try to describe a little bit of it, but I wrote this down. The grandeur of the Rockies. There was no other way to describe it but majestic and grandiose. Um, majestic. The the couple of things that I saw was there's there was these giant red rocks. You know what I'm talking about? They have these giant red rocks, like 20, 30, 40 feet apart, or I'm sorry, in, in width, uh, smooth, and they're just placed in the landscape, like where there'd be like a valley, and they're just layered and layered and layered, and they're smooth versus the jaggedness of the mountains uh, that the, the roads that we drove on that were cut by, or that they were cut. And those were very jagged. Um, the striations of, of the mountains, they were very angular, and they, the colors would be tannish gray, and they would, uh, they would alternate with a reddish color. Absolutely breathtaking. Took my breath away, and then I saw the uh, I saw the, the the skiing mountains in the background, the fourteen thousands, and I, I just couldn't. I mean, I was I don't want to say I was in tears, but I mean, it was just it takes your breath away. Uh, I've been to the Grand Canyon, I've been to Yosemite, and it is up there, you know, with that. And my 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 family, they've lived there for about going on six seven years. And I noticed they weren't as excited as I was. And it's because they live there. You know, I've been in other places when, when uh, my wife and I, we lived in Philadelphia, and people would come to visit. They'd want to come and go see all the sites. Like, okay, we can go see them. You know, I, I, I was just used to it because you live with it. And in the same way, you know, that, that you grow dull to something because you're used to it, we can grow dull to the greatness of God's salvation. We can grow dull to the greatness of God. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I have. You know, I've been, I've been uh, a Christian. I've been walking with the Lord for going on nine years. And I'm surprised at sometimes at the coldness in my heart. I'm surprised at sometimes the dullness of God's greatness. You get used to it. And so I want to, I want to talk about that today. So, 
The other two things I want to do are the three things that I want to do today. Here's my aim. One, to show the problem of growing dull, which we just went over. Number two, to remind you of the greatness of God and of his salvation. And number three, to look at Peter's description for our response to this. Um, before we dive in, when, I was, when we were worshiping, I felt the Lord wanted me to read this, this uh, verse here. It's in Ephesians 3, I'm sorry, 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. There's some men here, you're far off from the Lord. And the whole point that Jesus came was to bring you back to God. To reconcile you with God. To bring you near to the Father's goodness. And that you can actually be in awe of his greatness. Um, so that is for some of you in here. Um, and the Lord wants you to know that. He wants to bring you near to him. That's the whole point. All right, back to First Peter. So gazing upon the greatness of God and his salvation, perhaps you have grown dull. First, let's listen to the prophets and then to the angels. Let's listen through the lens of their desires and longings. Okay, so our text starts in, in 1 Peter 1.13, but we're going to look at the first three, ver- or the, the three verses that come prior to that. All right, so it's talking about the prophets. As to this salvation in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which, you, which have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. All right, so first let's listen to the prophets. They made careful searches trying to gain understanding as to when all their prophecies were going to happen and through what person they were to come through. They saw that this person was to suffer first and then glory would be given to them. Um, And I was thinking about what is a clear example of that. And so let's look at Isaiah 53. This is a very famous passage. I want you all to see this for yourself, that what they were looking at, you can turn there. All right, so I'm going to start in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Stricken of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us. To fall on him. Okay, so there's suffering. That's a clear example. Do you all see the suffering in that passage? Okay, at the very end of that chapter, it says in verse 11, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty, or another word for that is treasure, with the strong. Okay, so glory. It is glory to divide the treasure with the strong. So here is glory I'm, uh, coming after suffering. All right? And then let's look at the angels. All right, let's stay in Isaiah. We're going to turn to chapter 6, another famous passage. I didn't stay in Isaiah. I should have. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so don't get paper cuts. All right. Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, that's another 
that's a name of a type of an angel, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. So think about this. They are outside of eternity. And they are constantly calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy. They're basically witnessing to one another. Don't you see how amazing God is? And they don't get tired of this. If I was to say three word, or one word three times over and over again, don't you think that would get boring? But it doesn't. And it's because God is so amazing. They are awestruck with God. These spiritual beings come from the very presence of God. For an example of how superior they seem to be to humans, just look at it, Daniel in chapter 10 of his book. He falls as if dead just by the presence of the angel. And yes, he had been fasting, but he fell as dead just when the angel revealed himself. And what do they want? They want to have a clear knowledge of this salvation that God has brought to us. They come from his very presence. And yet they're saying, I want to know what you guys experience. So what is it that we can experience, but they can't? All right, so I'm going to just overwhelm you really quick with a list of the greatness of God's salvation that we see in the first nine verses of Peter. Number one, being chosen for the place and time that you're in by the Father. Number two, set apart by the Holy Spirit. Number three, sprinkled with the blood of the Prince of Life. Number four, grace and peace. Number five, recipients of great mercy. Number six, new life. Number seven, a perfect and living hope. Number eight, promise of a glorious future with God that will not die, that will not go bad, that will not get old, and it's reserved for you. Number nine, protection by the Most High God with all of His power. He promises to do that. Number ten, great rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. When was the last time you had rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory? This is yours in Christ. Number eleven, closeness with the triune God. Number twelve, our trials turn to gold. Number thirteen, the proving of our faith as genuine. Number 14, our lives will result in praise and glory and honor on the day of Jesus' return. Number 15, increased love and trust in fellowship with Jesus. Number 16, the deliverance of our souls when our faith will be turned into sight. We just sang that. I was like, whoa, that's it. That's, that line's in here. And if that's not enough, I'm going to give you another list from Psalm 103. One through five, it says, the psalmist says, do not forget the benefits of the Lord. Don't forget them. Here are uh, six things that are your benefit because of God's salvation. Pardon for all of your sins. Our sickness is healed. Number three, our lives redeemed from the influence and destination of hell. Number four, given victory and authority that is characterized by mercy and compassion. This is yours in Christ. Number five, satisfaction for your godly desires with good things. Number six, renewal of your innocence and strength. Those are some of the benefits of the greatness of God's salvation. I've done my best to overwhelm you right now because I was overwhelmed by the mountains. His salvation is grand and great. And just like the creation only speaks of the Creator. The Creator is far greater than the creation. The gift giver is far greater than the gift given. And why do you give a gift? Why do you give gifts on to your children, to your your spouse? Why do you give gifts? Is it your duty? No, because you want to. You want to. It makes your heart glad to, to give them a gift because it makes them feel good, right? It gives them a benefit. 
okay, do you think the father said, hey, Jesus, I want you to go suffer. How about that? No, because he wanted to gain us. And Jesus wanted to bring us back. This has been in the heart of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before anything began. He had our redemption and plan in view before anything began. All right. Everybody good? Y'all hanging in? All right, all right. I hear some moaning. All right. (laughs) All right. So all of this was to cover the therefore in verse 13. So let's dive into our passage and look at the response of the greatness of God's salvation. Um, studying, studying for this, I saw that all of this is an imagery. Peter is using the imagery of the Passover and uh, going through the desert and, and meeting God in the desert that the children of Israel went through in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, so verse 13 comes, comes straight from the night God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And verse 16 is quoted from Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy because I'm holy. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is our response is prepare your minds for action. So preparation. Uh, the Greek literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. And that sounds kind of weird to us today, but gird up the loins of your mind. What does that actually mean? It actually means when they had robes, they would, they would tuck their robes into their, their belt because you didn't need flowing robes, you know, as you're moving about. So prepare your minds for action. Uh, let's look at the Old Testament reference that Peter is using. It comes out of Exodus 12, and in verse 11 it says, Now you shall eat it, the Passover lamb, in this manner, with your loins girded your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste or hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So the Lord had just been um, proving himself to the children of Israel, and he'd also been destroying the gods of Egypt because his name is to go forth. His salvation is to go forth in the earth. And the night when the death angel is going through the camps, they slaughter the, the lambs at midnight, and I'm sorry, at twilight. And uh, then they put the blood over the, the doorpost. You all are familiar with this, this story. And, um, and it saves them. The death angel sees the blood, which represents the, the blood of Jesus. And, um, but Moses told them, eat this in hurry. Be ready to go. So Peter is calling upon that. Vine's Expository Dictionary says, The Christian is to have his mental powers Alert in expectation of Christ's coming. So what is it that, that Peter tells us to, to gird up, to get ready? Yes, our mind. So why our mind? Why our mind? He could have said anything. He could have said, prepare your family. You know, he could have said, prepare your, your finances. He could have said, get your, your house ready. If you've got work that needs to be done, get it done. Uh, he could have said, get your, your will done, you know, get it ready. He says, prepare your mind for action. So because your mind is the beginning place of any action that you can have, whether good or bad, and this is where the battle is. This is where the battle is, guys. Your mind will either be holy for the Lord or you're going to be an open field for Satan to use your mind. And it's your choice. What do you want to use? What do you want your mind to be used for? One of the qualities we are to love the Lord with is our mind. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all your strength. What is the opposite of preparation? It's being lazy, slack, inattentive. Preparation requires effort. It requires steadiness, diligence, and constant attention. Preparation is part of the hard way described by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7. As he is wrapping up his glorious sermon on the mount, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. 
Don't you want to be one of the few? The broad way is an easy, smooth path. But the way that leads to life is difficult as the, as the uh, ESV renders it. So, prepare your mind and find life. Don't prepare your mind and find death. Uh, let's do one more passage. I love how the New Living Translation uh, has Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, so your flesh, your old way of life, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful flesh control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Life and peace, guys. The Spirit comes to bring you joy. He comes to bring you life. He comes to bring you peace. You know, Jesus said, it is better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come to you. And we're like, Jesus, no, what are you talking about? No, 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 stay here with us. I mean, who doesn't want to see Jesus face to face and and to, to fellowship with him, sit around a campfire, whatever, whatever it would be like. But it is better. And here's why. Part of the new covenant, the main thing of the new covenant, so that He can live in you by the Holy Spirit. That is why He came to die and rise again, so that He can live in you by putting His Spirit in you. The Spirit of Christ lives in all those who surrender their lives to Him. This is part of the new covenant. Life and peace. You know, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus to glorify Him. Um, back to the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, you know, typology. The priests, part of their attire was a placard on the headdress that they wore. Y'all know what it said? I'm going to take a drink of water, but I want to say it. Holy to the Lord. Our minds are to be holy to the Lord. So what are you thinking about, guys? What are y'all meditating on? Now, you're probably thinking, man, I wish this guy would hurry up. But <laughs> Anyway, what are y'all thinking about in your free time? That's when you really find out what you love, is when you have free time, what do you do? I'm not perfect at it. I find myself at times like, oh man, what am I, I'm wasting my time. We all do. But we can strive um, you know, for holiness to the Lord. All right, so let's move on to the next, next part. I think I might be becoming a real preacher because I was like, I got to have alliteration. And uh, so I came up with four P's. I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. But it's actually in the text. Um, the second P is preservation. Preservation. All right, so I'm getting this from, so Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind for, or prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Keep sober in spirit. So you are to preserve the sobriety of your spirit. This is something, this is a command. There's no way, other way to look at it, but it's a command. Keep sober in spirit. It's the same Greek word uh, that is used in verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God. So God promises to protect you, it's the same word. But then Peter says, "You basically protect your spirit." Um, I've been reading this book by John Bunyan. I don't know if anybody knows who John Bunyan is. Very famous book he wrote. It's called The Pilgrim Progress. But a less famous book that he wrote is called The Holy War. 
It is same same type of, of story or uh, style of writing, you know, analogy. You know, in in the, in the Pilgrim's Progress, you had Christian that was going on a, a pilgrimage to the celestial city. Uh, he had a burden on his back, and he and it he got relief from it when he went to Calvary. You know, that type of thing. Uh, he he his best friend was faithful. You know, that type of thing. So the Holy War is all about a city called Man's Soul. So the city is called Man's Soul. It's, I believe its mayor is uh, Lord Understanding. And uh, another high-ranking you know, person in, in that city is, is Lord Resistance. And so at the beginning of the book, Diabolos, which is like the enemy camp, and it's made up of Lucifer and Legion, you know, that, those type of, of villains, they said, we want to take over Man's Soul. And Mansoul was created by El Shaddai and his son Emmanuel. They were they were the ones who who established Mansoul. And uh, so Diablos comes up with a a way to take it over. And they were you get kind of behind the scenes of of their conversation. And they said we need to come low to Mansoul. We need to come low in the form of a of an animal they think they can dominate, and we'll speak very flowery things to them. Things that, that they will love. And, uh, but they're all going to remain invisible except for, uh, the, the leader Diabolos. And so he comes and he speaks these things that El Shaddai, he doesn't care about you. He's given you laws that restrict you, that hold you down. Uh, but I, I actually care about you. I care about your freedom. So let me in and I'll help you. And so, um, while that was going on, one of the, uh, the persons in that group, they're all invisible, shot one person. And the one that they were targeting was called Lord Resistance. They, he wants to take our resistance out, first and foremost. What you let into your ears, what you let into your eyes, weakens your resistance if it isn't building your inner man up unto the Lord. It weakens you. And here's the whole point of Satan tempting us. He wants our authority. God established man to have dominion over the earth, to rule it in his ways. And Satan gets us to sin so he can have that authority. Remember, and Jesus came back to do what? To take that authority back, and he did. Um, something I take great comfort in is this verse at the very end of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And it says, Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. You know, what was it? The Great Commission. What did he say to his disciples? And all authority has been given unto me. So Jesus took that authority back from Satan. And it's almost like he's challenging us. Guys, are you going to believe me on this? Are you going to believe me that I have all authority? Um... And go and make disciples. So Jesus has all the authority. But we as his followers, you know, you, when you love somebody, you want to do what they ask you to do. Um, you want to be obedient. Not out of a duty, but out of desire. Right? Out of desire. You know, what is it to give up, you know, something that you might love that, that is, you know, worldly? So what? Do you think Jesus wanted to go to the cross? Do you think he wanted to go to it? In his, in, his, in his flesh, do you think he wanted to go to the cross? No. Father, if there's any other way, please. But not my will, your will be done. And so, how do you get, you know, what's the opposite of, of sobriety? Drunkenness, right? Drunkenness. Okay. So, and how do you get drunk? You keep drinking. That's how you get drunk. Peter is here saying, keep your sobriety. Keep your sobriety. He uses that word sober in three, in two other places. In chapter four, he says, keep sober spirit. And he says, for the reason, for the purpose of prayer. Okay? You want some weapons for this warfare? Learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. Learn how to enter into God with these uh, with prayer, you know, the, uh, Paul says, "For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, 
but they're mighty in God for the, for the pulling down of strongholds. Bringing every thought. Whoa, there it is, thought. Bringing every thought into obedience to Jesus. I might have just butchered it, but it's something like that. I know I've got the spirit of it, right? Um, so there's something too. To it, And the other time that he uses uh, keeping sober in spirit is at the very end of chapter 5. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you, casting all your cares and anxieties on him. This is so beautiful. Why? Because he cares for you. God cares for you. Keep sober in spirit. Diligent because you have an enemy Prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone who to devour. Do you want to be devoured? No. I know you don't. I mean, that would be that's stupid to ask even. But nobody wants to be devoured. So stay sober. Stay sober. You have a real enemy seeking to get into your mind and into your heart and then into your soul through your ears. I was about to say eyes. In, in your eyes. Okay? Stay sober. Keep sober. Let's get real here, okay? And I'm going to be stepping on toes. I don't care. You have been set apart for the Lord. Okay? Is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? That's not my quote. That's Leonard Ravenhill's quote. I wish it was my quote. That is such a good one. But it kicks me in the teeth every time I hear it, and I don't like it at times. My flesh doesn't like it. Because it hurts, because there's things in my life that I, that I do that isn't worth Jesus dying for. Okay? He set me free, guys. Like we sing about His freedom. I want to shout. There's shouts of victory in the tents of the righteous. Somewhere in the songs, in Psalms. There's shouts of victory. It's because you know what it's like to be in prison. You know, you don't have to be in a real prison to actually be in prison. You can be in prison in here. That's real prison. And you have a taskmaster that's always coming to you and making you do things that you don't want to do. That's real prison. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Are we that people? Yeah? That was a good place to say amen. Right? Have you been set free or are you still in prison? It's, this isn't, listen guys, this isn't, you know, something to be ashamed about. But let's live for the Lord. Let's be holy unto the Lord. Fully set apart for Him. Not harboring bitterness or anger or resentment in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. Or to anybody in the world. Maybe you work in a, in a workplace where you're challenged. And, uh, because you got people that are, that are, you know, speaking ill of you. Well, Peter's got something to say about that in chapter 2. I would love to talk about that. Go read it. Dive into it, man. And, and in chapter 3, he expounds upon it. You know why? Because God wants to shut their mouths. It says that. He wants to put them to shame for the bad things that they're saying about you. Okay? But entrust yourself to a faithful creator. Entrust yourself to the redeemer of, of humanity. Re- entrust yourself to him. That's what Jesus did. When he was reviled, when he was being tortured on the cross for you and me because of love, because of desire to bring you back to God, it says that he didn't open his mouth in chapter 2. I'm going to read it because I'm about to butcher it. But it says that um, in verse 22 of chapter 2, it says that who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his, heart, in his mouth, if it wasn't found in his mouth, it means it wasn't in his heart. Because out of the, out of the heart, man speaks. Okay? So it wasn't in his heart. And remember, what did he do? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Anyway, sorry. Um, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What an example. So there's many things, you know, that that is accepted in the Christian community as acceptable that should not be acceptable. There's movies we watch. There's television shows we watch that, hey, you know, they're not they're not in the trash, but they're trashy. 
They're trashy, right? I used to love Seinfeld. I used to love The Office. And I tried watching it after getting bored again. Bro, everything is filthy. Everything is about sex. We can't be that type of people that allow that into our camp. The Lord doesn't want that. Find your satisfaction in Him. Find something worth better than those shows. He's better. Let Him be your satisfaction. He will satisfy you on the inside. And that's what makes... Um, that's, that's what makes Christianity amazing. Nothing else in this world satisfies. No other religion satisfies. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. All right, let's move on to the third P. Let's talk about perseverance. Okay, so we are to uh, gird up the loins of our mind. Keep sober in your spirit. And fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who works with concrete in here, Adam? I know you do. Yep. Okay. So when it says fix it, let it be like concrete. You know, let that concrete settle. Let it, let it be completely fixed. One direction. There's only one direction. You fix it completely on the grace. Fix what? Fix your hope. What are you hoping? What do you hope in? You know, this also is another way to ask this is what do you desire? What do you desire? What do you hope in? So we talk about hope a lot, right? I hope we're going to have the meal that I want us to have at lunch at my parents afterwards. You know, she hopes to get married this year. We hope for deep relationships. Right? I hope my team wins the championship this year. They didn't, but that's okay. Um, So, back to my story of going to Denver. Um my flight out of Huntsville was going to arrive in Dallas. Uh, I don't remember exactly what time. I ate something, and I had less than, a, than uh, less than an hour to get to my my flight, and it, or it was going to take off in an hour. I was like, "That's a short window of time," but I think it'll be okay. All right. Well, here's here's a, a monkey wrench. My flight from Huntsville got delayed by like an hour and a half, so I had 12 to 15 minutes to get from Terminal B to D, and so I man full out sprint. In, in Dallas airport but in that moment when I'm looking at the board and I can't control it I can't control the thing about when that plane's going to get I can stare at it I can okay we, we gained a minute here we gained a minute there I realized my hope of a great time with my brother I don't get to see my brother much and his family it might not turn out, out the way I want it to and in that moment I was like ah and I was thinking about this passage ah that's why Peter says, fix your hope completely on the, revel- on the grace that Jesus is going to bring to you on that day. And so it doesn't mean, so, I, you know, I was thinking, well, does that mean don't hope for things in this life? I don't think it means that at all. Of course, that, you'd have to kill a part of your heart not to hope for things in this life. But it means your ultimate hope. Hope for what is coming on that day. Hope completely for what is coming on that day. Okay, so what is coming on that day? Grace. Grace is coming on that day. And I looked up the, uh, you know, that uh, word. I found this awesome commentary. And time is running out, so I won't give you the details of that. But grace that has already been brought to you. This grace has already been started. So what are we saved by? Yes, through faith. Saved by grace through faith. Okay, did, could we earn that? Did we, did we, uh, get that because of how good we are? No. Okay, so on that day of ultimate reckoning when Jesus comes back, when he comes back to slaughter the Antichrist and his beast system, when he comes back in flaming fire with the angels to take vengeance on the ungodly and to give the reward to his beloved. Right? It's two things. He's going to bring grace to you. He's going to finish what he started in you. 
And what's so beautiful about this hope, it requires perseverance. So in Romans 8, 24 through 25, it says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In this walk through life, being set apart for the Lord, we are going to face trials, temptations, rejections, discouragements, betrayals, and loss. Guaranteed. If you are only setting your focus on what you can see, you will lose hope. But Peter and Paul are telling us to see with spiritual eyes. Again, the imagery of Exodus from Egypt and marching toward the promised land, these promises started over 400 years prior to the story of Exodus. And God was going to make good on his promises. PJ is always reminding us of that in the men's group on Wednesday nights. God is a God who promises, and he makes good on his promises. And I'm thankful he does. But the children of Israel had to endure the desert. But as we read thousands of years after the fact, God did, not br- God did bring them into the promised land. But most of them he buried in the desert because they didn't trust the Lord. But just as surely as, they, as the children of Israel as a group made it to the promised land, so our hope will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. This isn't a chance. I, my team didn't win even though I hoped they would win. This hope is sure It's a living hope because Jesus is alive. He conquered the grave. Grave, where is your sting? Where is it? We know that it won't hurt because Jesus rose again. Jesus is coming back and he will bring his redeemed with him to his home. And it will be worth the wait. So be fully convinced of this. He will finish what he started. No matter what happens to us in this life, Jesus is returning and he is bringing his reward with him for his beloved. I love uh, how Paul describes it in uh, Titus chapter 2. He calls it a blessed hope. This is our blessed hope. When you are waiting on something, what do you do? You wait, right? You can either wait with, uh, with your hope being you know, detracted, and you kind of, you're, you're, you know, really ripe for apathy when that happens, or you wait with eagerness, and I don't remember exactly how to get to Titus. I mean, I do, but y'all are staring at me, so. Anyway, Titus chapter 2, it says 13, I'm going to start in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, which we just talked about, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. It's a different place. I think it was in Second Thessalonians that talks about waiting with, with expectation. But anyway, that's a good, good one right there, too. Um, so lastly, let's talk about purity. Verses 14 through 16. I love finding how uh, the Bible you know, connects to one another. It's really not that complicated. Um, so verses 14 through 16, Peter's good friend, John the Apostle. You, so look at verses 14 through 16. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse out of 1 John 3. So his good friend, John the Apostle, he says it this way. And look at the similarities. Verses 3-3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, on him, Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. So John sums up very succinctly what Peter says uh, in verses 14 through 16 with, he who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the question I have for you today, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you do, then you'll purify yourself. And this, this, we're not talking, you know, Christian perfectionism. We're not talking about that. But if something in your life 
you know that it doesn't please the Lord, get rid of it. And if there's something that God wants to bring into your life to add to it, then do that. It's nothing to do these things because you love Jesus. Now, I'm not making light that, yes, it might require sacrifice. Yes, it may hurt. But in ultimate, you know, ultimateness or, um, what's another way of saying it? Because your love for Jesus, it will surpass, um, you know, what you got to give up. Anyway, so let's get back into 1 Peter 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God wants us to be like, like Him. You know, Jesus came to be like us so He could be our representative to take our sin. You know, because this world was in rebellion and we joined in. And Jesus came to bring us back to him. But um, God wants us to be like him and he is going to use everything to do that, to conform us to the image of his son. So quickly, um, as obedient children, this is your new identity. This is who you are now. You want to obey God. This is not uh, a drudgery. This isn't, I have to white knuckle it, you know, to do what I'm supposed to do because I really want to do that sinful thing or that thing that, that would satisfy my flesh. No. This is who you are now. In the Greek, it's so cool. Like, I like our modern translations, but in the Greek, like, you lose it. It re- literally means you are a child of obedience. Like, like, obedience is your, is your dad or your mom and you're, in family relationship as a child to obedience. Uh, Paul puts it this way, that we are slaves of righteousness now in, uh, in Romans 6, I believe. So this is what you want to do. It is not a challenge to, um, you know, in, in my heart and in the Christian's heart to follow the Lord. Yes, it is a challenge, you know, to walk it out for sure, for sure. But if you're struggling with, oh, I, I don't want to submit to the Lord, you know, let it be fixed in your mind that your new identity is to obey Jesus. That's who you are. And if you are struggling with it, ask where those thoughts are coming from. Are they coming from the Lord? Would the Lord want you not to obey? No. We are uh, sprinkled with the blood of Christ for obedience to him. Your new identity is to obey you want to do this. This is part of, you, of who you are now as a Christian. Um, you know, is it the devil who's trying to, to deceive you and lead you astray, or is it your flesh? You know, if 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 something is trying to tempt you to not obey, then it's usually not coming. It's or it's not coming from the Lord. It's from, from your flesh or from the devil. I have so much more. <laughs> Golly, get your lunch. Let's come back. We'll, we'll go to two. Um, all, right. Um, all right. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this. Let's let's get to some applications. I I, I don't know if these are are good applications, um, but let's let's talk four things. So this week, get off your screens. Get off your screens. Number two, spend some time this week thinking deeply about verses one through nine and remind yourself of the greatness of God's salvation in Jesus. That was a mouthful. I should have edited that. Okay, so think deeply of verses one through nine this week. Number three, go to the Father and ask him to show you the things that are hindering your sobriety and ask him to refresh your hope and refocus you on Jesus' coming. And number four, ask God to show you his holiness. Pick up a book on the holiness of God, such as Jerry Bridges' The Pursuit of Holiness or A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. Um, and I was thinking, I, I, I thought I was going to run out of time because I didn't put a whole lot for the holiness of God. So, but I, I was thinking, what, what is a good way to sum it up? You know, Jesus, or it says, in all of your behavior, there's not one stone that can be left unturned. Um, you shall, and then he goes on to say, you shall be holy for I am holy. Uh, in another part, we're going to go over 12. I don't care. 
Um, in another part, um, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, and this is important, and that's why I'm going to say it. Romans 12, Acts, Romans, okay. I know where this stuff is, guys, but when I'm in front of you, you get a little nerve-wracking. So Romans 12, all right, it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or as the NIV says, in the view, in, uh, in the view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, holiness is, is this something Jesus would like me to do? Is this in a line with, with him? You know, he makes us holy. Uh, Jacob Yarbrough pointed out, so we have a standing with God that is holy that only he can bring. You know, Jesus brought us that in, uh, you know, he justified the many. His sacrifice lets us stand before God as holy. Um, but ask yourself, is something I'm doing, watching, listening to, is it holy unto the Lord? Is it something Jesus would approve? When I stand before him, is he going to be okay with it? You know, uh, that's looking to the future. You purify yourself that way. And if it's not, then don't do it, man. It's not worth it. Is and then ask what Jesus? What do you want me to do? You know, when you when I know this, this is so generic, but you can apply it to your lives. I know you can. Um, I really, I am going to finish with this. So sometimes it's hard to f- figure out where you're going to finish. I love this song. The church is one foundation. Does anybody know that? So it's this beautiful hymn. Um, the reason this man wrote it, I don't remember who wrote it. He wrote it so that he could teach doctrine. He was worried that the church was falling away because of doctrine. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by the water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her. And for his life, or her life, he died. Let's pray, guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the passion that sent you to the cross. Your desire to do your Father's will. I can only do what my Father tells me to do. You loved this. You loved doing your Father's will. You loved thinking his thoughts. Father, I ask you to help us, if we're far off, to come to you. I ask you to first let us see how glorious you are. Help us to to love you with all of our lives. You are worth it, and you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.